Hi, thank you so much for coming back to Invisible Thread. We are your hosts, Alexa Pontello and... I'm Perlito, and uh, this is a fashion podcast about the intersection of fashion, art, design, and culture. Um, Our second episode, too, we're going to be diving, deep dive into Virgil Abloh's life, his career, and everything that follows. (laughs) We can just, like, literally talk about it all day, but, like... Who does that? You know. We do. It's we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not being paid, we're still talking. Yeah. About it. <laughs> I love it. There's a lot to cover, right? <laughs> There's a lot to cover. And I think this was such a shock to the fashion world, his community. And we just felt that it was super important to really just celebrate his life and do a deep dive. And there was so much in our research that Perlito and I, we, as we were researching, we were talking that we just learned and we were both obviously familiar with him and especially, you know, off-white and Louis Vuitton, but getting to know his early career and his early start and his relationships and, you know, everything that encompassed post-mortem, his influence and his legacy mm-hmm. has been super inspirational and very eye-opening. And yeah. we're super excited to kind of give our listeners a little bit more insight into him and his career. Yeah. And 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 I'm glad that you said that too, because, you know, as we look back at his life, it's good to uh, recognize what his contributions are and uh, his overall um, motto in life where he wanted to really give back to his community and give back to the fashion industry and not only that but the, in that process they truly changed the landscape of the fashion industry which is what I think you know like you pointed out to as, as we research it really hit me at the end how much they changed and influenced an entire generation it's like Profound, right? You can begin with, um, he was born in Chicago. His parents are Ghanaian immigrants. Um, Perlito and I actually touch upon this a lot, just the motherly influence in a lot of designers' mm-hmm. lives and in our lives as well. And his mother was a seamstress, which just speaks volumes. I, I found that really, really cool. Yeah, and it kind of speaks to like our experience too. Like when we first... I uh, did our first episode and we kind of related to what really inspired us to begin our fashion journey or like uh, some of the influences that we had personally. And you said, and I said, it really kind of stemmed with our moms. And yeah. same thing with Ablo. Um, his mom was, like you said, a, a seamstress and she basically te- taught him all the tricks of her trade and kind of gave him that starting uh stepping stone to kind of like just catapult himself into it so um 1980 september 30 he was born in chicago and uh as we go through his history like 2002 he completed his undergraduate degree in did you know he was an engineer (laughs) yeah i had no clue until i started looking this stuff up so he's basically he got an undergraduate degree as a civil engineering at the university of wisconsin madison um, it, it, I was reading 
I was listening to the interview with uh, Naomi Campbell and him, and he spoke to the fact that because his father, his family is uh, from Ghanaian descent, he immigrated to the United States, and his father was one of his wishes was, um, I want to have a son who's an engineer. And so um, Ablo said, you know, if that's uh, if that's what what my father wants after all the sacrifice he did to uplift his family and bring them to the United States, he's going to get a son who's an engineer. And I thought that was like so cool that he said that. Um, but then as as we go through his history, we will discover like how um, the engineering, and then later on as he gets his master's degree in architecture, all of this played into who he became or who we will, he will become in the fashion industry. And I thought that outside perspective is what really made him unique and, and different. And it almost gave him an edge, but we can talk about that later as we go. Yeah. Through. And when I read too that, um, you know, he later on got his degree in architecture it reminded me of Tom Ford where Tom Ford also has his degree in architecture and, you know, his initial education wasn't formally in, you know, fashion and in, you know, fashion education mm-hmm. and how that really plays into, um, you know, him as a designer as well. Um, so then, yeah, he got his architecture degree from the Illinois Institute of Technology. Um, and he actually skipped his final critique in college to have a meeting with Kanye West. Oh yeah, I read that too. That was so funny. Which is so cool because <laughs> he became friends with, so Kanye West's um, manager was John Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And John Monopoly's cousin became friends with Virgil through a t-shirt printing company. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, he did um, screen printing for a company called Custom Kings. Um, and he, because of the programs that he learned in architecture, it was like Adobe Suite and like some 3D programs. He was so good at actually creating the format of the t-shirts. So when he sent in his format to uh, Custom Kings in Chicago, it was so good that literally all they had to do was just hit print. And so then because of that, they offered him a position too. So then he was working at that company for, I don't know, however long. Um, and the initial introduction was through a manager called... Um, well, he met Don, Don C. C. Yeah. yeah. John and, Monopoly's cousin. Oh, is that who that is? Oh yeah. my God. So then Don C was the one that initially met Virgil at Custom Kings because they were looking for a t-shirt designer. Um, and I just find it, it's so, it's like serendipity, right? For fashion. Like they're like all connected in some way. Um, and as we like go through his history, we'll see like certain connections and how that kind of basically played into um, his life and what he will accomplish later on. So um, it's so, it's so interesting because I think that was like 2007. It was like 2007, um, or back, back, back in the day when they were like still coming up in the industry. So, um, and while Virgil, fascinating. while Virgil was at the institution in Chicago, getting his degree in architecture, he spent, I was reading, he spent a lot of time in New York mm-hmm. and 
he he had a blog too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when he was like visiting New York to like look at the fashion and like just kind of like create a dialogue for himself, he started creating a a blog about like these skater brands that uh, really spoke to him. And I was like, see, he was already thinking of like how to create the the verbiage to to connect his designs with what his concepts are. You and know? street. Yeah. And how to really pay homage to streetwear and counterculture. Mm-hmm. And there's power at the fringes. And I think Virgil really represents that where there's so much power in counterculture and hip hop mm-hmm. and rap and in just what's going on in, in street and culture. And, and Virgil really brought that to the forefront in all of his designs and everything that he did. And he started that well before he was really fully encapsulated within fashion because mm-hmm. he was interested in architecture. He was DJing from a very young age. He mm-hmm. was super artistic and creative, but he didn't really hone in completely into fashion mm-hmm. for a while, but was still so much connected to that street, that counterculture mm-hmm. and just seeing what was happening. Well, and I think too, like, you know, we can't talk about Virgil Abloh unless we, we also refer to Kanye West because you know, Kanye West, he first busted out into the industry in 2004. His uh, album um, came out, or no, he came onto the music scene in 2004. And so he basically created this uh, avenue for them because once he got connected with Virgil Abloh, then he realized the passion that Virgil had for fashion, the same that Kanye West had. And so he gave an avenue for them to basically find a place in the fashion landscape. And so in 2009, Abloh and Wes became interns at Fendi in Rome. And uh, the Louis Vuitton CEO, Michael Burke, um, he told New York Times, I was really impressed with how Abloh and Wes brought a new vibe to the studio and were disruptive in the best way. Virgil could create a metaphor and a new vocabulary to describe something as old school as Fendi. And from that point on, he followed his trajectory in the industry. And I found that to be so interesting because we're talking about 2009, right? And he didn't actually become the men's creative director of Louis Vuitton men's until 2018. So his journey and his development you know, a lot of people think he just came onto the scene, or at least I did. I assumed. I just didn't know necessarily his specific history. And now that we look into it, it really is a development of his journey and then also a development of his relationships within the industry too. So, And also he was in the back of the minds of people high up in fashion for a long time. They took notice to him even as an intern, I mean, he was with Kanye West, which again, like shines light on him as well. Yeah. And, and that relationship too, I'm sure as they navigated through the years and he became like Donda's creative director and blah, and he helped with a lot of tours and like album covers that was like Grammy nominated. Um, they had to probably navigate their relationship and how that defined how they first work together and also how they were able to kind of continually push each other, you know? And so, yeah. and I think that really in essence taught Virgil how to first realize ideas, create the ideas, be the architect of those ideas, and then 
find a way through all the madness of everything that they were doing, traveling, concerts, albums, like he was still able to kind of push these ideas through. It was like basically life fashion intern for him. And to create that under those circumstances, I think it really honed in on a lot of other skills that was very important, just as creativity and conceptual and like everything that he learned through like architectural school, he was able to kind of couple it with like real life work experience while working for Kanye West. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of people were putting or have put Virgil down or criticized him because he doesn't have that formal or didn't have that formal education by going to a fashion school. But I think, you know, I had read too that Kanye and Virgil were very much into fashion. They wanted to break into the scene and they were contemplating, should we go to fashion school or should we just kind of do it through our experience? Mm -hmm. And by interning at Fendi and later through his relationship, Virgil's relationship with Kim Jones, he was able to get that formal education through his experience. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a testament and an example to so many other people that you don't necessarily have to get that education to become the creative director of a huge fashion house Mm -hmm. one day. And he just learned it as he went and just worked extremely hard. And I I think that is really, really amazing to be able to be the creative director. And yet you didn't even have that formal background. Mm -hmm. And he would say, he's been quoted in like several interviews. He's like, I'm not a fashion designer. I'm not an architect. I didn't do architecture to build buildings. He really is just a thinker. Um, And then when we dive into like all the brands that he started, like for example, like Pyrex Vision and uh, his collaborative experiences with Ben Thrill and the RSVP Gallery. Um, The RSVP Gallery was like a moment for him to kind of give credibility to his art, you know, and like the Ben Thrill was like a collective that gave credibility to like his DJing and his music, but gave a, a, a moment for them to kind of just push ideas too and and then when he started Pyrex Vision it was similar to what Off-White was how in in the in the vein that he wanted to experiment and see what he could do with um he bought like a whole bunch of like what is it Ralph Lauren um, flannels and and he took his uh hero uh Michael Jordan's number 23 and branded it with Pyrex on the back of these flannel, flannels um, uh, and basically up sold them like 550 per piece. And it was like, uh, it was during the time when like deconstructionist era was happening where a lot of people were kind of like deconstructing the pieces and, and finding different ways to kind of like um, take something that's already in existence and putting your own flair, your own touch, your own creativity on it. And, um, I think that's something that he kind of capitalized as his own, um, his own, and it it made him unique in the industry. You and know? I think even you know before Pyrex Vision, when he did Ben Trill, um, which was really kind of like a DJ company, but they created these T-shirts that they were selling along with, um, like when they were DJing, they were wearing these T-shirts and they were selling mm-hmm. them, and they were selling out like crazy. And I think for Virgil it was kind of an eye-opening moment kind of seeing how crazy and how fast that really took off and how that became a very much a part of like the streetwear at that time. And 
when he started Pyrex Vision, I think, I think he almost did that as an experiment to kind of see, can I do this again? Mm-hmm. Because he sold Ben Trill, which then kind of bankrolled his later projects. Mm-hmm. But I think that Ben Trill, he's like, was this a one-off? You know, was this just something that was just hot at the moment in, in culture and in streetwear? And it was this something that kind of just like my friends were buying and it really took off through, you know, different celebrities wearing it, or was mm-hmm. it just like the cool thing at the time that everyone wanted? And I think when Pyrex Vision also kind of had that hype, it really mm-hmm. gave him the the confidence to go into Offway and say, you know what, I can do this. This mm-hmm. isn't a one-off. I've done it twice. Yeah. And when Pyrex, the company Pyrex, who created, it's a company that like, makes like measuring cups. Yeah, like glass or something. Yeah, yeah, like a glassware company. And it's a nod to the drug culture because people are using those cups to make drugs. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of a nod to what was going on in the world in terms of the drug culture. Mm-hmm. When they sued him because he didn't have the trademark and the licensing to use the name, he didn't like fight for it. He didn't try to buy it back. I think, and I don't think he was really that upset about it from what I've researched. I think mm-hmm. he was kind of like, well, this was my experiment. I wanted to see where I could take it. I wanted to see if it would take off like Ben Trill did. Mm-hmm. And when it did, that really set the tone of, okay, I'm ready to step into that next level of fashion and start with off-white mm-hmm. and in doing so, he established himself in Milan, which was such a risk yeah, and like such 100%. a really cool thing to do by saying, hey, I'm starting the streetwear brand, but it's also very high fashion. I'm mm-hmm. creating in Milan. I will be showing in Europe. And I think that another thing to highlight is, you know, a lot of people who do come out with their own line and they come out with their own concept. It's like, you know, when you first come out, this is going to be the name. And this is what this com- company is going to be about. And this is what we're going to create. Uh, I think what Virgil has shown that he could come out with an idea, come out with an idea that's strong and it's successful and he can pivot and create something else within the same vein. And it's like, I think that's something that we can learn as we watched him come up, as I watched, as we all watched him come up in his industry we don't necessarily have to like come out with one idea and then that's it. You know what I mean? Like we can come out with an idea, we can experiment, we can kind of like see if it works, if it doesn't work. And then we can pivot and create something that's different. And like each reiteration of his concepts came out stronger. In Off-White, just kind of looking into the logo and Perlito and I had talked about this before, how genius the, the horizontal white thick lines are mm-hmm. and people, you know, would really criticize that I saw, you know, mm-hmm. during when, especially when Off-White was first coming up. And I remember seeing it in Barney's, which is so sad to say that it's gone. <laughs> I remember that it was one of the first places. Oh, I places. meant to ask, like, what, what was your first experience with off Like, what made you look at Off-White? Like, what was it? Was there a specific thing that popped out you saw it shopping or there was something like a cut or like it was kind of becoming this hot brand like I was seeing it on a lot of celebrities I was seeing it on Instagram and Virgil's name I think within like the DJ community and just seeing him with Kanye or seeing him around I think Mm -hmm. Virgil kind of became an entity too it was like oh okay this is Virgil's brand and we became like familiar with him as well Mm -hmm. and I remember I 
was familiar with the brand. I had, you know, been following it on, you know, the rise of it on social media. And then I went to Barney's and I think that they had like an exclusive where they were carrying it. I could be totally wrong and it could have been everywhere at the time, but I think it was kind of like an early brand that they were carrying on because Barney's would do that. They would really um, highlight new artists. Yeah. Like like emerging designers. And I remember I saw it and I was, I I always, I shop so much with my mother and and (laughs) we were shopping together in Barney's. Like we, you know, used to do so much. I miss Barney so much. And um, (laughs) rest in peace, Barney's. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I, I really liked it. And for her, she was like, I don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, why is it so expensive? Yeah. It's just a hoodie. There's not that much going on. What's with these hazard signs? Like, what yeah, the fuck? like these hazard signs. Like, it was so easy to copy too. And that was, I think, what people used to criticize too. Like, what's so great about this? Mm-hmm. But I think such a genius to Virgil was in how literal he was mm-hmm. in so many things. And it was a streetwear brand that yep. had horizontal, white, thick lines yep. that resembled what you see on the street. Yeah. What he, he even mentioned, I think it was like an interview he did for like Columbia University. He mentioned that he picked the lines because he initially crossed out Pyrex. And so there was like two double lines and then he looked at it and then because it resembled something that's internationally known, like traffic signals, like freaking parallel lines on a street, everybody knew that. Like that was recognizable. And so he was like, why would I recreate something? Everybody's going to already know this, right? And, you know, there was another interview that he did with Naomi Campbell for Vogue and they interviewed each other and she asked him, are you a researcher? And he said, yes. He's like, leading up to the position as the men's ready to wear um, artistic director, I did a, a ton of research. And so in 1854, I'm going to just jump back. Uh, Mr. Louboutin created these chests. And so back then the chests were rounded so that the water can kind of like roll off. He created this thing where the chests were flat so that you can stack them. And um, he wanted to basically let everyone know that that was his design. So the monogram was placed on these chests so that they knew it was Louis Vuitton's. And so that was something that he kind of like kept with him. So if you notice with Off-White, um, it's heavily, heavily branded with the, the diagonal, the stripes. Um, it's on everything. It's on the socks. It's on the oversized hoodies. It's on, you know, his shoes. And, and even the sneakers when, you know, he does, because this man did like, a, like when I started to look at his collaborations, I, I stopped counting because it was like literally a million different brands. So his collaboration with Nike and he did the 10s, um, you know, he put a shoe tag. And so he wanted the branding and the marketing to be just as strong as the, the visual, conceptual aesthetic of Off-White. You know, he thought about the two simultaneously. Do you know what I mean? And I think there were little subtle things within his pieces that you could tell if it was a fake. Mm-hmm. And I think he did mention that kind of in his conversation with Naomi as well, how even, and this is crazy because it does kind of go back to Louis Vuitton too, where with his monogram, he, he made it in a way where it was kind of harder to copy or there were people who were able to Mm -hmm. confirm whether or not a Louis Vuitton trunk was actually real. And Mm -hmm. with Virgil too, with Off-White, with those thick 
orange tags hanging off a shoe or just the way that it was printed where like if it was a fake, it'd be per- like it'd be peeling off or it'd be fading. Mm-hmm. There was subtle ways to see whether or not it was real or fake. And that go- again goes to like his marketing and his attention to detail. And I think also him just knowing that like that's that's what happens in the fashion world. Everyone is copied and especially nowadays with fast fashion. And, you know, we'll definitely talk about that in further episodes. But mm-hmm. um, that was definitely like a key piece of Offway where they, it has these really subtle, oh, I, I guess not subtle because they're not, <laughs> yeah. they're, it's, they're, it's like a hanging tag, <laughs> yeah. but it has these details that yeah. are really distinct to the brand where I had never seen that before. I'd never yeah. seen, you know, a, t- uh, you know, a sneaker where like, you're going to keep this huge tag <laughs> on the side of it. And it yeah. was cool. Like, well, it, that, that, well, see, that was the thing that got me so interested in listening to what he had to say. I mean, obviously because of he's a talented individual and he's like really, um, an intellect when it comes to fashion, but, um, what I realized he's referencing something that happened in 1854, you know, and it almost made me think that he not only is observing what we're doing in the culture of now, but he's also observing what has been done in the past. So he's like respecting the groundwork that these individuals have done, like Mr. Louis Vuitton, when he redesigned a chess and created that innovation, because of that innovation, everybody started to copy him. And so the only way he could stand out is if he created the monogram on the chess. And so because of that, um, Virgil came out the gates with a heavily branded um, off-white because he knew this is what's going to translate his value. This is what's going to communicate to the industry that this is off-white and this is going to be highly recognizable from a distance. Like he knew from the jump when he created off-white. And I think that's what makes what he's doing so um, smart. You know, because he's not only taking from what's happening in the industry now, but he's also taking from what has uh, proven to be successful in the past. So exactly, and that is exactly like the trajectory that he went from with Pyrex to go into Off White, where he used flannels again. He he's mm-hmm. using hoodies, he's using t-shirts, and that's really kind of like where it began. And it obviously evolved into full collections with dresses, and I mean, there was so much that went into Off White. But I think the foundation of it was very much a continuum of Pyrex because that had proven to be successful in the past. And he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of piggybacking off of that and going into his new brand, but yet Off-White was this elevated version of Pyrex because it was Mm -hmm. based in Milan. It was funded by Italy's new guards group. And pretty early on, it became a finalist for the LVMH prize for young fashion designers in 2015. And, 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 uh, you know, if you really look at it, he didn't win, right? He was a finalist. <laughs> you know, the person that won was Jacques Mousse and then somebody else, uh, I can't even pronounce her name. It was like Jacques Alameda. I don't know. Anyway, so like he didn't actually win the final prize of the LVMH uh, award. And the panelists who had voted for that too, I mean, stacked. Incredible. In- they take people. all the designers of the LVMH brand and they are part of the collective who At decides. At that time? Yes. Iconic. Wait, it was just, those are. Did you know that though? I had no idea that that's how they judged the LVMH prize. Like until I did the research, I guess I'm kind of like in the clouds somewhere. I don't know. But like, I had no clue. Did you? There's another 
isn't there another um, art award that you can win? Maybe it's not LVMH. Maybe it, is it Vogue's? Is it is it is it the C- CD something something CFDA? Yes, yes. For like emerging designers. Yes, yes, yes. And okay. a, and a winter award present that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And that is a panel of people who I think that maybe Anna picks them. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it's like five or six people. We mm-hmm. should definitely do a fact check on this. We can, do we can that. put this in the notes for sure. Um, as to you know who's currently um, voting and who's on the panel currently and who's been in the past. But um, I didn't know that about LVMH. No, for this young fashion designer award. But I knew for the CFDA that and Delph- it was it was like and- a, a picked panel. Yeah, probably and- from Anna. Delphine will come through and Henry Arnold will come. They would be part of the collective as they look at each collection. And I was just like, I would probably die if I was in any vicinity of any of these individuals as just singular. And as a a young fashion designer too, who's getting evaluated from these these majorly established people is just so overwhelming. And I don't know who who actually was there, but like I was watching the last episode of the LVMH Prize and they had Kim Jones, they had Stella McCartney, they had Marc Jacobs, they had, um, uh, oh my God, Maria Grazia of Dior. Like it was crazy. All their peers in all these hot, amazing forward brands were basically deciding on you. Yeah. Can you imagine? I I cannot imagine. <laughs> I think that I watched, it was like a, a documentary a little bit about the CFDA and the emerging designers. And it was like their presentations to the panel. This was years ago. Is it intense? And- it was so intense. I was sweating for these young designers who were putting on these presentations, to these people in front of Anna and the panel. Mm-hmm. And that was the year that Brock Collection won. Oof. And it's crazy. These people are so young. A lot of them, they don't really have funding. Like when you no. win that, you get a lot of funding and yeah. backing and yeah. they really help you with your marketing and your yes. business strategy and everything. So these are really, it's, it's like, like going a, on Shark it's like Tank. A, it's like a paid internship for fashion, basically. Right? It's like going on Shark Tank, but yeah. it's like, the most intense Shark Tank you can ever imagine. And then that can really spiral you. And Brock Collection has been huge after that. Mm -hmm. It really took off um, after having like that guidance and that backing and that financial backing too. Mm -hmm. And seeing too that he didn't even win that. And he was kind of already in the back of some people's minds from Fendi, Mm -hmm. which is also... It's cool. It wasn't like, oh, we, we've heard of him or we've seen him and we've been kind of waiting. So like, we'll give it to him. It was like, he didn't even win it. No, <laughs> he didn't win it. And he still won at the end. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, I thought that to be quite interesting too. He didn't actually win the award. And so, I don't know. I just find like what he did for Off-White to be so interesting because when he first created the collection at Off-White, um, I think it was like a 2004 they showed um, it was deep rooted in a very deconstructionist era. And I could see like Ralph Simmons in the collection. I can see Ray Kawakubo. I could see like Yoji Yamamoto. I could see these influences and like the fact that he was like interjecting it into his collection. It really catapulted him in a different light. And I think, you know, when we talk about Off-White, he's even been quoted in saying like, you know, my concept for Off-White was emerging of Celine and Supreme. Like that's how he wanted it, the collection to be. And um, 
I just thought when I first saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I forget what season I saw that he created, but it was a collaboration with Jimmy Choo and it was a translucent, it was like transparent heel, but he did like a bow on the end of it. And it almost, and I, you know, for lack of a better word, it looked like the model was walking and she kicked up on a piece of paper and it just landed on her heel. I don't, there was something about that transparent heel plus the floppy fabric on top that just like, I was like, who would create this? It's architecture too. Do you know what I mean? It's very architectural. <laughs> like who would create that and, yeah. and, and throw it in a runway and put it with like these chic, like long empire high pants. Like I, I just thought he had so many cool connections to different aspects of fashion and he merged it in a very chic way with the, with the edge, right? With the edge of streetwear. You know, as the years go on, he goes in to start creating other aspects of his concepts. So in 2016, he opened his first concept store in uh, Aoyama, Tokyo. Um, and I don't know if you saw f- pictures of uh, the first concept store that he created. It was like an office. They had like a water cooler in the middle. And then they had like these cups that was branded with his like off-white brand. Um, and they had like desks in the middle with this like rolling ticker ticker that like went around the circumference of the room. Um, and, you know, he's gone on to say like he hates brick and mortar. He thinks it's corny. He, you know, he hates the, the interaction of store to customer. So he really wanted to kind of create something unique, more like an experience, you know? And so- Which is before the time because yeah. that's very much what brick and mortar is about now. But mm-hmm. that was, again, before his time. Before kinda, his time, yeah. yeah. So he, he wanted it to be about the experience. And, um, you know, when he did the ticker, it's almost like that stock ticker that you see like on Wall Street where like all these different companies are going through and like numbers after it. So it's like that on the top of his, the circumference of the store to symbolize buying, you know? So he did like all these like uh, uh, tongue in cheek kind of like uh, cheeky jokes inside a lot of his designs, you know? And that's really cool too, because it it's very much like StockX where... Mm-hmm having limited drops or having, you know, certain hoodies that take off. And once they're gone, they're gone. And Mm -hmm. with Off-White and a lot of street brands, they're bought and then they're resold. And it's like a stock where you can resell it for so much more than you bought it for. And I don't know if he was kind of, you know, being ironic to that as well, because that is very much a part of his brand and, and his products where that was very much going on. And especially with his Nike collection. Oh my God. Those are so expensive now. Oh my God. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So when it first dropped, so when they said the tens is coming, I like looked up, I was like, I want to look at every design. And so I looked it up and I saw the transparent converse that he did. Those are my favorite too. Okay. So like, I don't know, back in, back then you had to like go on a, um, Oh, was it, it a raffle? Yes. Yeah. And so I got on this raffle unexpectedly. Like I didn't even think I was going to get it. I so won't. so how does a, a raffle work for people who don't know? So 
basically you just kind of put in like your information and then it would spit out like mm-hmm. kind of what it give you like a pick time. So or- yeah, you would, they, they would give you a time, like a range when you'd have to like literally check in. So then you check into the location that you're interested in. This, well, at least this is how I got the actual converse. So they Wait, would- you ke- have them? I did. Okay, so continue. Me, Sorry, I totally <laughs> interrupted you and just shot the story, but continue. Okay, so like they would give you a timeline of when you had to check in and you had to be within a certain vicinity of this location. So I was literally in my fucking car, right? Okay, whoever I was working at the time, I wasn't, I was really sick at the time, but like. <laughs> you took an off day to get your off I took off an off juice. day. I jumped in my car and was like, I'm gonna get close to this one location. And I checked in. Motherfucker, I got it. I got the shoe. It like confirmed. And in your size too. Yes. Because that's a big thing too, where people get, go to this raffle. They do it for all these newest drops. They get mm-hmm. a pick time. And a lot of people buy the shoe, even if it doesn't it's fit not them. Si- it was because my then they size. can resell it. So it's yeah. in your size too. It's and, the and, style you want. And it, this is back then when like, I don't think the robots got into it. Like, cause I think now, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? The bots yeah. will like buy up everything before you even blink. True. Like, True. But back then it was like humans. And so like, I literally got the window. I almost... Like, I think Wait, I'm, do you know where you drove to get them? It was, oh my God, Larchmont? There's like oh, a, really? That's like, Larchmont wasn't really Larchmont. No, then, I know. Yeah. It was I, very I in the early days. was like driving because they, they gave you like two locations. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Larchmont one because like I think the one by Melrose, you're just, it's going to be impossible. Like a zoo, you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. So I was like trying to be strategic with it. So I ended up getting the Larchmont location. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I got it. <laughs> And so, like, it said, you get it. And so, like, I parked the car. I was like, this has got to be a joke. I don't know. I've never done this before. So I, like, wait in line. There's, like, five of us. And I was like, wait, did you get the same thing? (laughs) And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Is this really happening? You know what I mean? In my mind. But I was sort of playing cool. Like, but on the inside, I was like, oh, my God. It's like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. Yeah, It's so cool. Ridiculous. So then, wait in line. Get in. Whatever. They pull the shoe. I show them the take. They pull the shoe. I purchase the thing. I walk out. And like, I own a pair of this man's like collaboration. I was just like so excited, right? And then my friend was like, you know what? Have you checked what StockX is selling the shoe for? Yeah, yeah. And I go, no. And he's like, you should check. Do you remember what you bought them for? It was like a hundred something. I don't remember. It what? was like something cheap. Wow. It went for like a thousand above. Like immediately that week. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. didn't, I didn't have to wait like a month, two months, three months. It was like that, possibly that day, you know? Wow. Yeah. It was like 10 times worth. There's a lot of these like teenagers now who've made, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. doing this. I can see it. They just flip sneakers all day and they resell them on, well, I guess you check the stock on StockX mm-hmm. and there's different other, I, I think you can also buy off of StockX. Yeah, you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just buying and selling. Basically. And, yeah, and just making a profit. But um, I think going back to, well, that collaboration too, and everything that Virgil did, I think he said that he was very much influenced by Marcel Duchamp. Mm. And I saw that, and I don't know, for some reason, I just couldn't understand what exactly he was saying. But anyways, yeah, go ahead. I so think like- it's, he... His influence from him, in my mind, I could really see in his designs, especially with 
how literal he got with his quotation marks. So when on yeah. his boots, it said for walking. Yeah. On the, um, his sneakers, it said foam. Yeah. And it was just like, literally, like, this is foam. <laughs> the, these shoes are for walking. And yeah. that's what Marcel Duchamp was. It was taking these commonplace, random, whatever items that you don't even think twice about mm. and putting them in an art gallery and saying, think about it. <laughs> in quotations. In, in quotations. And, yeah. I, and that's very much Virgil where he's like, you don't look at a pair of shoes and think, oh, leather, foam, cotton, plastic. <laughs> yeah. And he like, I don't know. He brought that literal, ironic, just thinking outside the box, making you think so differently yeah. about fashion, differently about the world, it, differently. It was humor, yeah. basically, right? Yeah, humor and just like a completely different perspective of looking at fashion yeah. and wearing it. Yeah, because, okay, let's be honest. Like, you know, at the time when they were coming up, fashion was like a different landscape. Everybody was so serious about it. You know what I mean? It's a thing. Luxury is a thing. Like, but then you kind of like... And like, it's a snobby world. It's a snobby world. It's a, it's elitist. It's like, it's either you know or you don't know. And like, you know, we still think that way to an extent about fashion too, especially when you go into like the higher levels in terms of like couture or like, uh, you know, these runway shows that these It's a brands, competitive business too. Yeah. And how else would you kind of create exclusivity? So he kind of pointed and made fun of that exclusivity and like made a joke out of it. You know what I mean? Like he kind of like reversed it. Which is, I, I, <laughs> we're going to be talking about this a lot too, but again, like kind of a nod to, to Demna. Oh and yeah. And who Demna is as a oh, creative my God. director. Yeah. And how Demna very much does that too. And I think, you know, when you're talking about these creative directors who are very much represent culture very much in tune with street culture you think of kim jones you think of virgil and you think of demina too mm-hmm. thousand percent and I, they all kind of did they all do that they mm-hmm. all kind of make you think differently about it make it they kind of poke fun at the elitist world of fashion thousand percent going into louis vuitton and his first collection showing a diverse cast of models, the rainbow runway that was inspired by oh. the 1939 musical film, so The Wizard good. of Oz, um, was just so magical and whimsical. Mm-hmm. And again, him being so human and in everything that he did, he created this community around him. A thousand percent. And mm-hmm. he, as much as, as big as Off-White was and as big as him being the creative director of Louis Vuitton is and how much Louis Vuitton is distinguished as a fashion house and how people would want to go to that show just because it's Louis Vuitton. People wanted to go because it was Virgil. Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. he is his own entity outside Mm -hmm. of his collections, outside of the Louis Vuitton house. And I found it really cool in his interview with Naomi Campbell when she said that in her 32 years of modeling, she had never felt that feeling of unified love from every single person there for you. And she was talking, she said this to Virgil and she had said to the collection itself was beautiful. The, the setting was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The, the wizard of Oz theme and all of that was just, it, it really just, it was a coming of age story. It was him as a kid in Chicago. It was went from white and black. And then it 
it came into this beautiful rainbow of clothes mm-hmm. and it just, it was his blossoming. It was his coming out party. Mm-hmm. It was saying, this was me in Chicago. Here's me through all of these colors and yeah. life. And it was just this gorgeous like yeah. birth of him it at Louis Vuitton. It wasn't white. It wasn't black. It wasn't gray. It wasn't off-white. It was like a rainbow. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that like the coolest thing? That symbolic rainbow of him exploding into who he is now. Do you know what I mean? And it all culminated into that moment, which was so cool. I, It was emotional. And absolutely. And we talk about a lot, and we're going to be talking about this later on, is we talk about shows that just really stick in your mind. Whether or not that was a show from a certain designer that like completely changed the kind of codes of the house or the the mood of, of what that house ultimately became or just pivotal collections and moments and fabrics or whatever that is, that collection in that moment, mm-hmm. regardless of if you loved it or you hated it, it was pivotal. It was, it was absolutely pivotal. pivotal. It was, I think it's going to stay in the minds of people in fashion forever. It oh, was for so sure. emotional, so beautiful. And when Naomi Campbell was talking to Virgil about that collection, because she interviewed him like right after he had showed. Mm-hmm. And she had asked him, she said, you know, the show was beautiful, but what really made it super heartfelt was your dramatic and emotional like outburst with Kanye. Mm-hmm. And he said, and humble and Virgil being so humble, he said, and he's talking about Kanye here. He said his dream, it was as much Kanye's dream as it was my dream. In my dream, it was him walking down the runway as in, Virgil had thought that at one point it would be Kanye who would probably become the creative director because Kanye had, you know, Kanye was Kanye. Kanye was Kanye. Exactly. (laughs) He had, he was huge. He, you know, was a big rapper. You know, he was very much a, um, uh, yeah, just people who people really looked at him in terms of a creative Mm -hmm. and not that they didn't with Virgil, but I think he was a lot more like prominent in terms of, he was more outspoken, right? He kind of like, he would, if you had to compare- He's like a the, tastemaker. That's what I was trying to say. Tastemaker and then also the voice of like pushing and like they had to pave a way for individuals who look like them, who are from where they're from in an industry that's not forgiving and not open to a lot of different, um, I don't know how to say this, but like it was, it was closed. And so they had to fight for their space. They had to justify their space and they had to give a level of credibility to their space. I think that's why they, both of them, if it wasn't for one or the other, they would not have been as successful as they are because as a team, as, as a group, it basically helped each other get to where they needed to be so that in essence, Virgil basically was able to fulfill this this destiny because of that partnership, you know? Absolutely. And I think too, when Virgil was talking to Naomi, he very much said that this collection, he said, one thing that has to be stressed about that show is that it was actually wasn't me on the runway. It was the community. That show was for us. Mm-hmm. And it's for him and Kanye. It's for people who look like him and Kanye, it's from yeah. where they be, where they came from, where they are now, what they've gone through. And mm-hmm. that he was saying, we've made it. This is our coming out party. Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And he was saying to Naomi, now I can start 
you know, my legacy at Louis Vuitton. He yeah. had to establish that first and say, this is for us. This is for my community. This is from where I've been mm-hmm. and, and kind of express that beautiful evolution mm-hmm. and set the path for other people. Cause he was the first black man to be the creative director of Louis Vuitton. Yes. And so he paved that way for for other black men, black yeah. women, people of color, yeah. people from minor- minorities or people who weren't necessarily in the fashion industry before who could be in these top positions. And he really yeah. paved that way. And so I think that collection was very much a celebration of that. And then mm-hmm. after that, he was like, okay, now I'm going to mark, you know, put my stamp on Louis Vuitton going forward yeah. and whatever that is. Like, yeah. And it, you know, that goes into like the hologram, you know, bags and it goes yeah, yeah, into yeah. how he transformed the trunks and, you know, everyone at Louis Vuitton does that. And, but he had to establish that first. Oh yeah. Thousand and he's percent. so humble about it and so gracious about it. And just seeing who was at his shows, like that show and all the way through mm-hmm. rappers, people from his community, people who he just admired it. It didn't, it wasn't this snooty thing. And Mm-mm. he learned that because he, him and Kanye tried to go to Paris fashion week and, yeah. you know, it, they weren't really allowed in and, mm. and Kanye, cause Kanye was like an artist at that point, but they weren't front row at shows at no. that point. This was it, so early on. Yeah. They weren't considered, um, they didn't, weren't granted access. Right. 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 <laughs> they and were so just like, he very much in his, his shows was like, had people front row who didn't necessarily have to be a fashion journalist or mm-hmm. work at Vogue. It yeah. was like ASAP Rocky and mm-hmm. like these really cool street artists and friends. And it was very much a, like a loving display of his art. Mm-hmm. And I think there was something that came out of that same interview too, that like really hit me. He said, you know, he's, he was granted access to the archive of Louis Vuitton. And so he was able to see like Marc Jacobs' uh, full collection. He was able to see Nicolas Gasquet's full collection. He was able to see like Kim Jones's full collection and and all the collections in between those designers. And now he's been given an opportunity to show his full collection. And he took a moment, he paused and he was like, no one can take that away from me. You know? It was I, I can't imagine the pressure, mm-hmm. but the the accomplishment of saying to get I'm there. gonna be in mm-hmm. this upper echelon of designers forever, etched in the yeah. history of Louis Vuitton. And whoever is gonna succeed him is gonna be looking at his archives. He will mm-hmm. forever be in the archives and a historical prominent creative director. Yes. In one of the top houses of fashion. Yes. And and kudos to Louis Vuitton for like having the foresight to allow this man with all the talent, all his con- ideas and everything that comes with an opportunity. Don't you think? You know, as we see the past and we see what he's created and as he came up in the industry, now the question is like, who would be his successor? Like who could possibly jump in that and like fulfill what he has created for the brand and for the future of Louis Vuitton men's and the future of like fashion itself. So, well, it's interesting to look at Louis Vuitton because he succeeded Kim Jones. So 
you know, when these fashion houses appoint a new creative director, they could be appointing somebody who is a completely different vibe, different aesthetic, different everything from the person before them. But I think, you know, Kim Jones leaving, and I, I thought that this was so cool is that Virgil slept on Kim Jones's couch <laughs> yeah. for a summer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they were close <laughs> friends and he, he learned a lot um, in terms of like a fashion education from Kim. And when Kim was leaving Louis Vuitton in his last, um, his last show, when he walked down, he was wearing the Nike collabs with Off-White. He was wearing the Jordans. Oh, so it was his way. And it was his nod <laughs> to kind of like saying, ooh, like, is he wearing them because he's friends with Virgil? Uh-huh. Or is he wearing them because Virgil's next? So we need to look and see if any designer that's out there now is wearing off-white. That or <laughs> totally. I also think who was in attendance to the last show? Have they picked someone? Because I think Virgil signed on to be the creative director of Louis Vuitton. I want to say it was Knowingly, four, you mean? Like he signed on four or five months before Kim, I think, announced that he was leaving. Yeah. So that was, but then again, that was, they had known, they had time to look. Yeah. Virgil's, you know. Um, and he had to research to get up to speed. Like he was like doing all this behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Right? So you have to think Louis Vuitton knew. They had to have known. It was his work. He, I think he was seeking treatment and things, so he was probably missing meetings. I, Louis Vuitton knew for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think very many other people knew, probably besides his family. We're not sure, mm-hmm. but because it was such a shock, that's kind of the consensus of, of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to think, have they been in conversation with people? Have they been thinking for about sure. this? Or thousand percent. Were they, I mean, I... I don't, it's hard because it's like, you, you don't want to be doing that while, no. you know, well, yeah. Virgil's still there and right. you're fully committed to Virgil and all of that. Yeah. So I, I did see an interesting photo and I've been trying to find it again. Oh my God. <gasps> and it was a Dying. photo of, I believe it was the CEO, someone very high up at Louis Vuitton. It was his sons. I think it was the CEO of, of Louis Vuitton's uh-huh. sons uh-huh. introducing the CEO. Oh my God. To Ami Leon Dior. Her wow. Door, which is interesting for the sons to go out of their way at the last show to grab him and to bring him to their father to introduce him. I He's mean. very much in streetwear. He's has incredible sneaker collaborations that have sold out, have done very, very well. Mm-hmm. I think it would be kind of definitely along the same lines as Virgil's designs, but that's one thing that's interesting. And Omni, say it again, what's his name? Omni. Omni, which is, I think, love in French. Uh Uh-huh. Leon. Uh Uh-huh. And then the last last name is Dor, D-O-R-E. And I think, I believe his his name is Theodore, so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of taking the end of it. Um, And he's a streetwear designer primarily based in New York City. Um, and what's the brand again? It's the that's the it, Omni. Yeah, okay, got Dior. Um, so he's an interesting one to look at. But I think Louis Vuitton too. They've gone down this trajectory for how many years now? Kim Jones was at Louis Vuitton for how many years? Was it seven? Something like that. Yeah. A long time. Mm-hmm. Then you have Virgil. Virgil's been there since 2018. Mm-hmm. So are they can are they going to continue down this kind of streetwear? You know, inspired. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but I, I, I personally, I think Louis Vuitton will continue streetwear because um, he only started in 2018, and like the potential for them to maximize that concept, I don't think has been reached. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think. I think streetwear and the whole deconstructionist and the concept of mixing and counterculture. Yeah, that whole mix of like lux and like street. It's just so cool to me. I I don't feel like it could go away right away. I think it. I think there's still some reiter, reiterations of that concept that could still be so cool, especially for like Louis Vuitton men's, um, and especially now, like if you're just watching the trends of like what's happening with fashion, like the whole '90s thing is coming back. Like, you know, like the midriff, like the low like skirts that Miu Miu was doing, and like like 90s like hip-hop rap like that whole vibe is kind of like coming into play and it would be uh, almost like to Louis Vuitton's benefit to continue that same vibe I completely agree I also think too if you look back in the 90s the aesthetic for the creative directors and the houses was like sexy was like mm-hmm. sex appeal. Mm-hmm. And like, if you look at Versace and you look at Tom Ford at Gucci and that was that, that time. And I think right now in terms of high fashion, it's streetwear. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it across the board and it's what people are creating. It's what people want. Mm-hmm. And I think too, not only because it was Virgil's last collection for Louis Vuitton and it was right after his passing and it was very much like the place to be during, you know, Art Basel and in Miami, but if you looked at who was in attendance, it was so much of hip hop culture, rap culture, mm-hmm. um, just his friends, the art community. Design, it, yeah, it was like art. it was like street, and it yeah. was who's cool right now, who's young right now, who's mm-hmm. up and coming, and that's who Louis Vuitton I think has kind of gotten as their base mm-hmm. with Kim and Virgil, and I don't think that they're gonna they're going to shy away from that. It wouldn't make sense. Where are those people going to go? They're going to turn somewhere else. Yeah. So they're going to hold on to them. But I, they did so well with Virgil. He was so beloved. I think it would be paying homage to him as well to to pick someone who's going to continue that streetwear legacy. Yeah, and I agree. And so like for me, if I, if, okay, so I thought about this question. I thought about like who could possibly succeed what uh, Virgil Abloh has done for like Louis Vuitton and like, to give that individual uh, all the work that they did, Kanye and, uh, and Virgil did, to get to that point, who could take that spot and still give it the respect and the hard work and like the long 24-hour days that they did back when they were trying to come up, who could give the respect of that work? Because it, in, in, in essence, it would have to kind of be someone that's similar, right? Don't mm-hmm. you think? Um, like if you look at Alexander McQueen, mm-hmm. when he passed, his right-hand took, woman took over. Took over. Mm-hmm. And it was very much an extension of him. We would have to examine like who, who is Virgil Abloh's assist, like right hand at Louis Vuitton. Not Sarah Barton at... At um, at um, yeah, Alexander McQueen. Yeah, but I, I, I don't or, know. I, or I, could it be somebody that he's worked with in the past, like Heron Preston or Samuel, like Heron Preston from Ben 
Thrill or like Samuel Ross from A Cold Wall or like... Um, I have a feeling that it's going to be someone who doesn't have a prominent fashion education like Virgil. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. someone almost in the rap community, like hip hop rap community. I mean, even if you think of, okay, so like- Like ASAP Rocky maybe. ASAP Rocky, or what about Frank Ocean? You know, like Frank Ocean is kind of interesting too, because he's done- Oh, I haven't thought about Frank Ocean. He, that would be cool. Because he did a collaboration actually with Prada and he- um he created this line of like um, accessories and handbags, uh, like mainly like backpacks and stuff. So I think Frank Ocean would be kind of interesting only because like he has a uh, avenue of like luxury. Do you know what I'm saying? And so like you almost need the combination of street plus luxury. And I think that's the, the part where it can be tricky because you need to find somebody that also has the sensibility of the 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 Ray Kuukabo, the, the Yogis and the, the Ralph Simmons and the, somebody that gives it more of a luxury edge. Do you know what I mean? And not necessarily street street because it needs to be the marrying of the two, but it needs to be a right combination of the two where it feels still cool, but credible. Yeah. But like artistic, but like architectural. Like, but- and we talk too a lot about the artistic point but is it also commercial uh, commercial is, yeah can it sell can it sell i mean frank ocean has uh, a lot of people don't realize he has uh, several collaborations like one of them which is with prada and it's with a brand that's noted you know and these okay so i i we have know. to put this out before so, they announce it so without because okay we are recording this early <laughs> We are, what's the date? Today's December 12th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this might come out when, you know, they've already, they've already announced. So I think it it could be him. Um, I I love the idea of a Frank Ocean. It could be someone like Aaron Preston. It could be someone like a a Craig Green. It could be. So there's also somebody that like, okay, so this is a wish for me. Um, I'm so excited to hear this. <laughs> Wait, let me look. Are you at- going to say Raph Simmons? Well, but you I, wouldn't want Raph I, to leave Prada. I You're do, at Prada. Okay, so yeah, full disclosure, I work for Prada, but on the corporate level. But, you know, like for me, for I'm a huge fan of Raph, but I, I just don't, I would not want him. I would not want to put that in the industry or the universe. I want him to stay at Prada. But anyways, yeah. so there, so I was watching a documentary and I saw this, um, documentary on the past of like the 90s and who actually created these looks and like the styling and blah, blah, blah. And I would want just as a fantasy of mine, it's like if, if, if fantasy football could be transferred into like fantasy fashion, this is my is go-to. Is that a million dollar idea? <laughs> well, her name is Misha Hilton. Do you know her? Okay, so Misha Hilton, she's a stylist. She's a fashion um, person that basically she created a lot of the bad boy looks during the bad boy era. Um, she's a stylist for a lot of hip hop artists, R and B artists, um, and she notoriably she did like Little Kim's look. She did Mary J. Blige. She did remember Total back then, like that cool 90s edge slash like uh, hip hop vibe, but like interject 
the house's luxury, like the 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 concepts of luxury within what what Louis Vuitton would already define as luxury, um, and have somebody who's a female, who's a person of color, who has proven to kind of like be the voice of an era. I think it'd be really cool. I've never really seen like a stylist come into Why that not? position either. Because let's be real, like, you know, Virgil Abloh said himself, I am not a fashion designer. And a lot of people were criticizing him because of that. You know, he didn't yeah. go up through the traditional uh, ways of St. Martin or like whatever notable, notable fashion school that you need to go through to kind of create that um, credibility for yourself. He went the opposite direction and he's an architect slash engineer slash visionary. You know? I think... It opened a lane for an individual who doesn't necessarily need to go through the traditional route of a fashion designer. And why not bring in a stylist who has proved- Love that. Who, <laughs> a, right? Yeah. I, and she's a female. let me say this as a stylist. Oh, stylist, we, I guess I'm mostly speaking for myself, but I work so much better with the show, the, the, the clothing is already created. Mm-hmm. So I'll watch a collection and go, I love that blazer. I like these shoes. I mm-hmm. like this and put it together, but it's already conceptualized. Mm-hmm. You're pulling out concepts or ideas or, um, you know, whatever story that mm-hmm. piece is telling from that collection or piece that you see that speaks to you mm-hmm. and you're putting an outfit together, but that, that piece of clothing is already created. Mm-hmm. It is a completely other muscle in creativity and art to in your mind conceptualize Mm, something mm -hmm. and create it and then to be in a studio space and go you know we need to raise the hem two inches here or put a button i mean (laughs) it is completely different not that it can't be done and it's not that silas don't have that ability they absolutely do but it's it's a different realm it's a different realm yeah and uh, yeah and i think people in fashion too don't necessarily understand that because when i talk to people who don't really know fashion all that well and they're like oh you're a stylist like you're like, oh, are you like a designer? I'm like, that is so different. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I could ever be a designer. It is so insanely hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I mean, I think it'd be really, really cool. I think stylists would be amazing Wouldn't as creative it? directors. Absolutely. Why not create yeah, that why lane? Not? Because to be honest- Now's the time. Why not? Right. Like keep that- Like keep that- Um trajectory going and like explore and but if she create i'm talking i'm talking to you misha hilton (laughs) if you are listening to this lonely podcast (laughs) invisible thread i am pitching to you i think time will tell time will tell and you know we're gonna keep on looking on business of fashion (laughs) we're gonna be on twitter Mm -hmm. i think any designer want to wear off-white just to give us like an opportunity to kind of just yeah present yourself present (laughs) don't Um, be afraid (laughs) give us a hint blink twice yeah (laughs) um (laughs) so time will tell i think we're the investigation continues (laughs) the i think everyone is anxious to to see and hear fashion world is changing a lot um mm-hmm. but i think we both just want to end this episode with just gratitude to virgil yeah. for what he's done to the fashion industry the fashion world is so much a part of our heart and soul yeah and virgil's changed that forever for the world in yeah. such a beautiful positive 
enriching, inclusive way. And mm-hmm. I think if our listeners haven't watched it, I highly recommend watching the last show just for how much he was beloved. You can really feel it mm-hmm. in that last show. His first show, and we're going to put this in the um, episode notes on the website, invisiblethread.pod.com. Um, we're going to put his first collection. I highly recommend watching his first collection and his last. And that rainbow theme in that whimsical, childless, ch- childlike mm-hmm. imagination. And I think with him, so much of it is this um, coming of age story. Yeah. How everything builds on each other. Um, and just came together in, in such a cosmic way. Nothing was by chance with him. Everything mm-hmm. was faded. All of his connections, every, everywhere he went, every mistake he made mm-hmm. was building on each other for, for how he left his legacy. Um, and so with that said, I think we both just want to say thank you to Virgil. Oh, we, a thousand percent. we, you know, we, we would just want to, say that and also that our hearts are with everyone who's mourning right now his family his wife his kids his friends the industry i i the house of louis the house of louis vuitton i I, for me uh i just want to take a time to just basically uh thank him personally in terms of like what he's created but also his journey, it, it instilled a level of like inspiration because if you take the time to really research his life, it wasn't easy, you know? And at some point when I was researching everything, I became overwhelmed because it is, it, it can be, it's similar to what I've experienced when I had to come up in the industry and like show myself in terms of like, why would they pick me? I had to go 110% 24-7 to prove my space. And and he showed that in such a graceful way. Um, work hard, be persistent, be flexible, but be inspired. So he inspired the community around him and he always had that community close to him. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me. It's like... Uh, be grateful for who you are, where you came from, and like, sh- don't be afraid to show what makes you unique. You know, I love that. We want to give a special thank you to Sharon Reese, uh, who designed our logo, our beautiful, elegant logo. Um, thank you for like uh, being a part of the the show and like just being a part of the energy of creating what we did create. Um, and that logo is amazing, right? So beautiful. Thank you so much, Sharon. And um, editing and original music was produced by Blake Pontello. Thank you so much. Yay, Blake. And more episodes will be coming soon with Invisible Thread. This was a very special episode. We oh, were very totally. excited to to record this, to do a deep dive. And um, we're excited to record the next pod. Yay. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, and guys. see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.